scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, the left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Al Aguila. Three bounds, another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. All right, let's get things going. Hopefully everybody had themselves a nice little holiday break and welcome back to your Calgary Flames 2023-2024 season. Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome on a Wednesday, December 27th. It's Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media along with you. Uh, Wes is back with us. He decided to come back after the holiday break as well, which really wasn't all that much of a break. But uh, we're back. What's going on? We're back. We're back. Uh, we never left. It kind of felt like we never left. Yeah. Uh, Flames are now very quickly approaching the midway mark of the season. When they play Wednesday night against Seattle, will be their 36th game this year so the halfway mark is very much upon us and I think we learned that just before Christmas in that game uh, against the LA Kings at the Staples Center I, I think we learned the Flames still have some levels that they need to ascend to if they're gonna want to compete with the heavies in the Western Conference when those teams are on their game and and you know whether it's the Vegas Golden Knights who they've been very competitive with against this year uh, Colorado Los Angeles couple of others you know LA was uh, LA was a real handful and at five on five I didn't think that game was it's not that it wasn't competitive I just think that there was one team that controlled the game at five on five and the other team was forced to react to the game, and I thought the Flames fought hard. I thought their special teams kept them in it. They got a shorthanded goal and a power play goal, both from Blake Coleman, who now leads the team with 12 goals. Um, but at 5-on-5 five five against the Kings, I, I just thought the Kings were on their game, and, and as such, I thought the Flames had a real hard time in in matching what L.A. does at 5-on-5, five five. and they, they kind of, I thought, were spared by the fact that L.A. took as many penalties as they did, but yeah, I think that was that, that's a that's a good lesson for the Flames as they approach the midway mark. That they're playing hard. They have come a long way. They're a much better team than they were in October, but they still have some levels that they need to get to here too. Yeah, and if it wasn't a lesson, it was confirmation, right? Yeah, that, that the Calgary Flames and we've been saying this all year, and I don't think they believe differently. Are not in that elite class of teams in the Pacific Division at this point. And you know, I love the way. Blake Coleman put it post game and and I know he did the media rounds so I can't remember if it was his scrum in Los Angeles or when it when he joined the program with you afterwards he said we we can't be satisfied listen we we lost by a goal in Colorado we lost by a goal in Las Vegas we essentially lost by a goal here in Los Angeles yep. before a late empty netter but that just shows us we're not on the same level as these teams and, and I think the positive side is exactly what you just said. They're they're working hard. They're hanging around with these talented groups. But that was probably the most glaring example, Los Angeles I'm referring to, yep. of the fact that that's a team on a different level. Yep. And, and you know what? That's not necessarily a, a bad thing because I, I don't think that it's really any different than, than a lot of people thought. But that's, uh, that's a team that... 
Uh, that, that's an L.A. team that is very much in the Stanley Cup conversation. And, and after watching them again, I've seen them a bunch of times, watching them play the Flames for the first time and kind of, you know, dialing in from a start-to-finish type basis. That kind of cemented the fact that, yeah, this group looks like they're a team that is is going to be a, a tough out in the postseason as well. So, look, I, I don't know if the Flames are going to ascend to that level or not between now and the end of the regular season because we don't know what this, uh, what this roster is going to look like. But I think, yeah, confirmation and a little bit of a, a lesson. And now they've got you know, a little bit more than half of a season to continue to try to take some steps and try to get their game to a little bit of a higher level. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure we'll talk plenty about the the flames at the half, so to speak, but there there's been so much to like. I mean I mean you love the resilience. You love the this team hasn't cheated on effort very often. You know, nope. I can only think of a, a couple of games, even going all the way back to that Detroit game towards the start of the season where you just think, geez, they stunk tonight. Yep. Like, there's not many of those, but there are groups, and this isn't surprising, we've known this, that are at a different level. You saw in that final game before Christmas, as you put it, why the Los Angeles Kings are are Stanley Cup front runner or favorite you know suddenly this pacific division has some really 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 legit contenders to win it all this yep. year well let's um you know it's funny you bring that up because the flames host seattle on wednesday night their first game after the holiday break and both teams sit at 33 points heading into this game flames are slightly ahead of seattle they've played one fewer game than the crack and seattle's two games below 500 calgary one game below 500 but you take a look at the uh, the western conference standings and the pacific division standings calgary is very much in the thick of a wild card race but they're nine back of the team that just beat them on Saturday so that uh, that win pushed LA nine points ahead of the Flames and the Kings have played four fewer games they're 14 back of Vegas and 16 back of Vancouver uh, each of those teams have played one more game than the Flames just so that um, we're, we're putting all the numbers on the table there so Flames have played one fewer game than those teams but they're 14 and 16 back the game in hand is going to be important there <laughs> the uh, <laughs> thank you for clarifying that well I only wanted to make sure that I clarified that so people don't say, oh, well, Steinberg's making the Flames seem bad. No, I'm just saying they're, they they also are nine back of L.A., but the Kings have played four fewer games. So if I'm going to do games on one side, I better do games on the other side. It's all about balance. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But it's teams like Seattle and Minnesota and Arizona and St. Louis and Edmonton. These are the... These are the new four-point games for the Flames this year. At least as things stand right now. Like when you're talking about four-point games and you're talking about those ones, you're like, geez, that could be a real swing in the way the Flames sit in the standings after one or two against those teams. Those are the important ones because it kind of feels – I'm curious as to where you are. It kind of feels like the ship has almost sailed realistically for a Pacific Division spot when you think the Kings have – eight points that they could get and they're already nine ahead of the Flames and they're also 14 and 16 back of the other two teams. Like Just realistically with how difficult it is to make up ground in the NHL standings these days, tracking down one of those top three Pacific Division spots seems like that that ship might be sailing if it's not already all the way out to sea at this point. Yeah, I'd say that one has left uh, left the port. I mean, the, the Vancouver Canucks and Los Angeles Kings are both clipping along at exactly a 700-point percentage. The 
Vegas Golden Knights are getting points in 67.1% of their games. And, and so, and, and we're far enough into the season that we know sort of what those groups are. Could could they drop off? You know, could we see a dip from the Vancouver Canucks? Absolutely we could. But, you know, realistically, are the Calgary Flames, even with a really good run of hockey, reeling in one of those three teams? I, I don't think so. And I think... For that reason, you're absolutely right. These are the four-point games now that we're talking about. The Seattle Kraken are a division rival, yes. But what they are, more than anything, are a wild-card rival at this yep. point. That first week in January, they see the Minnesota Wild. Nashville. They see the Nashville yep. Predators, right? Those are wild-card rivals at this point. And I always preface it this way. You know, everyone is probably going to say, oh, my God, here he goes again. But... I know that there's a lot of people screaming at their radios or bought podcasts saying, you know, it's time for the Calgary Flames to rebuild. It's time to sell off. We don't know exactly how substantial of a rebuild or, or whether it's maybe a retool on the fly. We don't know the ultimate direction that Craig Conroy goes before the trade deadline. We're basing this conversation on the fact that every time Pat and I go in the room, those 22 guys talk about making the playoffs. That's a stated goal for this group, for its coaching staff, and that's that's what you expect out of the guys on that part of the payroll. And so if that is to be a realistic goal for this team, it's going to, I think, have to be in a wild card yeah. spot because those three teams in the Pacific have just separated themselves. Yep. And and that's that's okay, um, you know. Fighting for a wild card spot is a, a, a realistic goal that they can have for themselves. They are three back of the final wild card spot, held down by surprisingly uh, an Arizona team that we were told was going to be a whole lot more competitive and has been a whole lot more competitive. But I think if you're St. Louis, if you're Minnesota, if you're Calgary, if you're this Seattle team, they're going to play. If you're the Oilers, I think you're looking at it and saying. Yeah, we can reel in Arizona. You know, the Coyotes are a team that, that maybe doesn't seem so daunting to track down between now and the end of the regular season. So that that seems like a more realistic goal. And even going back to what we heard from the team and what we heard from the team Wednesday morning, what we heard from them before they hit the road for those two games in California, they were talking all about wild card, wild card. Got to get ourselves in a better spot for the wild card spot. So kind of seems like the flames know exactly where things sit at this stage as well which is um yeah that's that's kind of indicative of the way they started the season it's kind of indicative of of, of how they've been able to turn their season around to a a certain extent and at the very least until such time as they do make significant moves and and maybe those moves do hurt them in terms of their overall competitiveness level if that's the way that it ends up going then this is kind of what they're fighting for right now and I think that is a far more realistic conversation than I, I think we all thought coming into the year that being in that mix for a time, at least I did. I, I came into the season feeling like a, a top three spot in the Pacific Division was something that they should be in the mix. I think I chose them to finish number three in the Pacific. I, I think if not there, then I had them in one of the wild card spots. I also had Edmonton in one of the uh, three Pacific Division spots as right. well. So, um, yeah, that, that wild card race. I'll say this. If you are not a fan of Nashville, Arizona, St. Louis, Minnesota, Calgary, Seattle, and Edmonton, seven teams fighting for two spots right now, if you're not a fan of that, those, that, that wild card race is going to be awesome. 
you are a fan of one of those two teams, it's going to be a little bit more difficult on your heart because that's going to see a lot of changing places. That's going to see a lot of nights where it feels bleak or a lot of weeks where it feels like, oh, yeah, they're, they're in a really good spot. And there's going to be lots of jockeying for position in the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing I was really struck by in that Los Angeles Kings game, a 5-3 loss for the Flames right before their holiday whatever you want to call it, break, I suppose. Time. Holiday time. Holiday stretch of time. One thing I was struck by was how ticked off they seemed afterwards to have once again frittered away an opportunity to climb above 500. Yep. You know, we heard Michael Backlund point out that they've been back to 500 now on a couple or three occasions, and each time that they had an opportunity to climb above it, they've let that go to waste. And so... I guess that's got to be the next step, right? Before we're realistically talking about a playoff spot, wild card or otherwise, you have to find a way to get to 500 and start to gain. I, I excuse agree. me, gain some traction. Because, and I said this when they got to 500 after the win over Anaheim. I was like, okay, let's maybe dial down the the celebration. Not like I think anybody was really celebrating, but you know, there was. It's just like okay. They're at 500. That's like the bare minimum of being a relevant NHL team. You don't make the playoffs if you're not above 500. You aren't a good team unless you're above 500. And so getting to 500 is like, great, awesome. You got there. That's your baseline. Now you can start to build on it. And I know the Western Conference isn't as much of a powerhouse as maybe it has been in years past, but you know the eight teams that make the playoffs when it's all said and done will be multiple games above the 500 mark. Like last year, even though Winnipeg did an incredible job of leaving the door open for two or three teams down the stretch, including the Flames. The Jets still finished 13 games above 500 at 95 points in the final playoff spot, and they were by far the worst playoff team last year by points. So being at 500 just means, okay, you're not a complete also-ran. You're not out of the conversation. Right. And so, yeah, I think Michael Backlund's correct. You've got to get yourself in a spot where you're multiple games above 500 for me to start really dialing in on, okay, playoff race, let's talk about it. Right now, it just kind of feels like a team still trying to get their season on a right track here. I don't even know if I, just based on the record, I don't even know if I can sit here and say, yep, Flames are fully on track and, and they're going to be in this thing for the rest of the year. I, I, I think that that's a really important mark to get over. Yeah, absolutely. And there there are reasons to think that they're on the right track. You know, one of the things that struck me in the the last couple of days is, or, or I guess going back before the break, you keep hearing players say, we feel like we've found our identity. We think we've figured out what we are as a team. Now we have to see that translate to something above 500. And, yep. and I'm sure that's part of what Michael Backlund's frustration was after that game in Los Angeles right before the holidays is, you're not going to come out and make a comment like this in the, the media before the flight home, but I'm sure Michael Backlund left the ice that night thinking, geez, that's a that's a cup-contending team in the Kings, and we didn't feel like we were on the same level as them, right? We, we did not think we were on the same... If you call that a measuring stick game, we're not there. Yep. And they have to realize that because while the players themselves want to be in a wild card spot and while it's been fun to watch how hard this group is is working already to to make sure they are relevant you know i think we've seen them gel in a lot of ways 
you know, at the same time, I, I know a lot of people are listening and thinking, well, if if we're not on the same level as the Los Angeles Kings, what's the best case scenario if we get in the wild card? Yep. And that is a conversation, absolutely, that they have to honestly be having upstairs. Which I think they are. Absolutely yep. they are because they, they know they watch – you know, they're watching the same games we are, and and they know the decisions that are coming up. And, and every, you know, I know every time we mention wild card, someone comes on the text line, oh, that's stupid wild card. What are they trying to – no. You mean players, like this one? The players have to be trying to make the playoffs. I don't care what your roster looks like. Yeah. Listen, and if, the coaches. If, they, if they trade the three key guys that we keep talking about before the deadline, guess what you're going to hear from the players? We're still trying to make the playoffs. Yep. It's what their job is. Remember, I, I will remember vividly, uh, Jay Feaster, after trading Jerome Ginla, my mandate is to you know go out and make the playoffs. And people lost their mind. And my only thought, my, my only response to that was, yeah, he, he traded Jerome Ginla, but he's not going to come out and say that as my mandate is to lose, um, our, my mandate is for us to lose as many games as possible for the next two years and then start to win. Well, of course not. And especially what type of message does that send to the guys inside the room and your coaching staff who are being tasked to right, go out there and put it all on the ice or ice the best possible lineup. It's not the, it's not the car rental scene in planes, trains, and automobiles. You can't come up and say... Guess what? We're bleeped. Yep. Right? That, nope. That's not what you're going to hear. And so keep in mind when we have this conversation about a Flames team that today is absolutely in the thick of the wild card race, about a team that could absolutely do themselves some favors with a win over Seattle tonight on home ice. Yep. Keep in mind we're not the ones charting the direction of the team. Um, and, and, and again, I don't think the Flames are playing poor hockey. I think they've nope. actually, since the beginning of November, almost two months where you're like, yeah, you know what? That's a competitive team. They work their asses off. You never, as you said, really have to worry about the compete level. I, I give Ryan Huska a lot of credit because one of the things that we talked about was Okay, is this group going to respond to a first-time NHL head coach? And is he going to be able to get a lot out of this group? Well, I think from an effort standpoint, I think from a work ethic standpoint, you're seeing that, yeah, they they work for this head coach. And they the, the consistency of their efforts and the actual amount that they leave out on the ice, I, I think, has taken a big step from last year where there were nights where it felt like they were waving the white flag. I, I can't really think of even on nights when they've, when they've been absolutely rotten. I can't think of nights where you've been like, oh, they look like they're waving the white flag here. You know, maybe they've been fatigued or maybe they've been, you know, maybe they just haven't had it, but you've never felt like, oh, that guy's dogging it. Those guys don't want to play. They're was, looking to get out of here. I, I haven't felt like that at all this season, which is a, a real nice step forward. And, and we're going to talk in a, a segment in the second hour about a couple of star or, or certainly very highly paid players who aren't pulling their weight and a few role players that we think fit that category as well. So I bring that up as a way of saying this is not a Flames team that's in the wild card race because everything's going right. This isn't this isn't a, a team overachieving its way right. in the wild card fight. There's a lot that can still get picked up, but full marks to them for the way they work, full marks for the way they don't quit. 
I, I do think they've responded to Ryan Huskin. I think in his first few months as an NHL head coach, he's done a heck of a job so far. I, I, I like the way they bring it. I just think that catching up to L.A., Vancouver, and Vegas is, is probably it's far-fetched. A, a lot a lot to ask at this point and, and too much to ask. And if they did it, uh, and, and if we're talking in March about them fighting for a Pacific Division spot and making up all that ground, then all day, all day I will uh, stand up and give them a full-on salute for being able to do it. It just seems like a, uh, a real pie-in-the-sky type thing. And more realistically, being in this wild-card conversation and trying to solidify yourself in that wild-card conversation may be a little bit more realistic. A, a few texts at 969. Go ahead first. No, no, read some text. I'm just trying to look up a stat here. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. Um, this reads, and and to your point about any time you mention fighting for a wild card, there's a text that comes in. Well, here's that one. Planning on squeezing into the back end of the playoffs is a short-sighted goal. Not surprised, given the short-sighted ownership they have. Hope Conroy gets to rebuild before it's too late, and they end up with another another bunch of low-rated draft picks. Well, again, nobody's saying that organizationally the, the directional mandate here from Craig Conroy is, okay, guys, back into the playoffs or, or get in as the seven or eight seed and let's get some middling draft picks. No, I think what we're saying is as the team is assembled as is right now, you want them to go out and play to win every night. You want your coach to go out and ice the best possible lineup. And you want the team to go out and play for that coach and play for each other and blah, 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 and see see if they can't win some hockey games. And as assembled, this is a this is a decent hockey team. They can they as as we said to kick off the segment, they can play well against good teams. They can hang around with good teams. Sometimes that hanging around allows them to beat good teams. They can go out there against a team like Anaheim and, and not I don't want to say not break a sweat but you know pretty convincingly beat an Anaheim Ducks team and not give them much of a sniff like they're better than Anaheim they're better than San Jose they're better than Chicago like we're talking about a team that is significantly better than the bad teams in this league and is a level or two below the really good teams in this league they are a middle team as it stands right now but that's not the directional that's not the the organizational mandate that's just what they are as assembled and you want them to go out and fight and play hard and and try to win as many games as they can and as Craig Conroy you evaluate and say to yourself okay th- this is when it's time to make a couple of deals this is when it's time to follow through on a, on a couple of pragmatic decisions and all that type of thing all that type of stuff between now and the March 8th trade deadline so I, I don't think anybody's sitting here saying that this is the organizational direction. I think what we're saying is right now, as built, they're a team that is in the wild card mix and probably no better in the Western Conference. That doesn't mean that they're that's that's their goal and they feel like they've accomplished their goal because I don't think that's the truth. I, I think Craig Conroy took over as general manager of this team with a much longer term and, and much more lofty goal than just being a team that maybe sneaks into a bottom seed in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and all I would say to you know that text and others sort of thinking along those lines is in fairness to a rookie general manager, in fairness to a guy who's calling the shots for the first time, you know, if if you believe that this is wild card or bust for the Calgary Flames, if you want to send that text message after the trade deadline passes on on March eighth, and then we can we can assess what the direction looks like, then that's absolutely fair. But to sit here today on December twenty seventh, when Craig Conroy has two and a half months to figure out 
who's heading out the door, what he can get in return for them and all that. Yep. I just think it's premature to look at it and say, well, of course, they're just trying to squeeze into a playoff spot because everything that we hear internally is not pointing that way. Yep. Uh, Jeff writes, uh, happy holidays. Wasn't sure if Flames Talk was on today, but wanted to make sure. And it is. Yeah, Jeff, we're back. Jeff. It's a game day. Where else would we be? You know what? We woke up this morning and we said, if Jeff wants us on, we'll be there. We'll be there, Jeff. He also says, I don't understand why trying to make the playoffs or retooling, maximizing assets, have to be mutually exclusive to some people I speak to. Why couldn't you get a haul at the trade deadline that includes a couple high, young NHL-ready prospects, which keeps you competitive and in the race? I don't think it's unreachable. I like the Nashville comparison some of you have mentioned in the past that comes from Jeff. Uh, This just says sell, sell, sell. Uh, And finally, Matt and Cochran says, should the NHL drop the wild card and just take the top four teams from each division. I don't mind the wild card because it gives you a better chance of having the eight best teams in from each conference. It gives you a little bit of a lesser chance of having a number four also ran get in when maybe a, a better team in the other conference should be there. I, I like the fact that that helps balance it just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would I would not do away with the wild card. I think there's years you get four from each division because that's how the, I guess, balance of power happens to shift out. But I'd hate to see the 11th best team in the conference get in as the fourth best in its division. Um, and just a follow-up from that one text says, it just sounds like you're excusing them of fighting to be a middle-table team when this team has been a middle-table team for like 20 years. I'd rather they sell off and have a team that can't compete right now. Well, okay. we, we are both very much on the not, – not everybody is at this point, but I think you and I are very established that we would very we, – we are very much in the camp of – Trade away Tanev, trade away Hannafin, trade away Lindholm, trade those guys and get assets that help you in the future. None of us are saying the Flames should stay a middling team. I am very much of the opinion that, yes, you have got to make some moves that are pointed to the long term so you can be a more competitive team down the road. That's exactly where I am right now. All I'm saying is right now they haven't made those moves. Those moves will be made between now and the trade deadline or those decisions, whether those guys are staying or going, and I think that most of them will move, if not all of them. Those decisions will be made here in the next two and a half months, but that doesn't mean that they're going to stay a middle team, but we do a daily show, and right now they're in the middle of a playoff push, and we can't sit here and say that, well, you know what, they should just uh, throw their sticks in the middle and uh, see what happens, and they shouldn't go out there and try to win hockey games. As assembled, they absolutely should go out there to try to win hockey games. I think it's just really important to understand the sort of different people on an organizational payroll. The players and coaches, their sole purpose is to try to win games right now. They're small picture they, people. They're they're. All they're paid to do is to show up that night and try and win a game and then show up to practice and show up and try and win every single game. That is what you expect your coaches and your players and the support staff in that sort of team bubble to do. Craig Conroy and Don Maloney and everyone in hockey ops, they have to think big picture. Yep. And if you think on March 9th, the day after the trade deadline, that they're too focused on trying to win the wild card spot – absolutely blast away at that point maybe it's fair game but right now trying to determine at this point in the season what the big picture looks like 
unless you have a wiretap in Craig Conroy's office, you just you can't. It's yeah. too soon. Well, that, uh, that segment actually uh, turned out to be better than I was expecting. Turned out to be uh, it's what, what happened. Sometimes you start a conversation, you think it's going to be a mid-show, and then you get slightly above mid to, to kick off an hour. I don't mind that. Dare to dream, buddy. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg, and uh, we're coming at you from the hot stove lounge here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. But everything is being produced back at our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundations, Foundation repair and radon mitigation. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Flamestock is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time now for our Daily Flames Roundtable on this Wednesday. The Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson of Post Media, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Um, gents, let's... I, I want to start with Blake Coleman, who uh, moved into the team lead with 12 goals on Saturday night in that 5-3 loss to the LA Kings at a power play goal and a shorthanded goal in a losing effort. And and he is having an unbelievable season. He is right near the top of the Flames scoring list and has been all year long. He's got 24 points in 34 games. He's tied with Nazem Kadri for the team lead in points. And, and I think it has been a really pleasant surprise for us. And and we've talked about, geez, this is a really good surprise story for the Flames. But now that we know how much healthier he is, and now that we know that he is playing far closer to 100% than he ever has as a member of the Flames, maybe should we be as surprised as we are that he's having the type of year he's having? I think it's fair to be pretty surprised with the type of season he's having. I mean, he's 32 years old. He will play in his 499th NHL game tonight. He's been in the league for eight years, so we've got a pretty good book on Blake Coleman. But he is having an incredible year. Two-time 20-goal scorer, so it's not like he hasn't scored 20 before. But with 12 goals in 34 games, he's on pace for a career-high 29 goals. Mm -hmm. Seven more than he's had in any other season. And you mentioned that he's tied with Nazem Kadri for the team lead in points with 24, which puts him on pace for a career-high 58, which is 20 more points than he's had in any other season. He had a career-high 38 last season. He has been so good, and what is as impressive for me as anything else is how he's been this productive in the role that he's played in. Basically, he's been a third-line winger, who has had tough matchups almost every night, who has had more defensive zone starts than offensive zone starts, who's moved from the left side to the right side, depending on who the other winger is with Michael Backlund. He is a jack-of-all-trades. He's been a great penalty killer for a long time, and he is second in the NHL with four shorthanded goals this season. And now he's earned some power play time. So with all due respect to Blake Coleman, big fan of the person and the player prior to the start of this year, uh, I didn't think 34 games in he would be leading the team in goals and tied for the team lead in points. He's been brilliant. Well, and and that's the surprise part, right, is is the offense. And, yeah. yes, we, we know he has kind of strong secondary scorer in him. He told me during training camp that he believes he's a 20-40 guy, meaning 
20 goals and, and 40 points should be a realistic goal for him to start every season. You know, are we surprised that Blake Coleman has been among their most consistent and reliable forwards? No, we're, we're not surprised. Uh, should we be surprised that he's a team best plus 11 with how responsible he is? We, we probably shouldn't be surprised by that. You know, are, are we surprised that he's the guy going out first on the penalty kill, that he's the first guy you tap as a winger in those key defensive situations? Zero surprise there. Yeah. The fact he's on pace for 30 yeah. is a surprise. And, and good on him. You know, it, it, everything he touches right now seems to be going in the back of the net. But I think it's it's sort of interesting to point out, if you go back, and I understand they traded Tyler Toffoli, who was their leading marksman last season. If you go back to last Christmas, nobody on the Flames roster has scored more goals than Blake Coleman over the past calendar year. So he was building, I suppose, towards this. We know that he's healthier now than he's been in a long time, but most of it's not a surprise with Blake Coleman. He's just been that sort of steady Eddie you know you're getting. He's basically Chris Tanev as a forward in a lot of ways. Yeah. The offense is certainly a bit of a surprise. The, the only reason I, I brought it up is because I, I've just heard him talk a few times about it, and, and he's not super surprised by it. He's kind of like, yeah, but guys, I, I, it's, not like I, it's not like I've never scored before. I've scored 20 in this league before. That's kind of been his reaction in, in like a you know, good-natured yeah. like Coleman way. Like, <laughs> he was a scoring champ in the USHL, I think, at one point. He, so uh, he's been up there before. He, he once had 92 points with the Indiana Ice, as I'm looking at it right now. Um, and, and the one year that he was in Tampa uh, when he got uh, the, the, 20, the, the, the bubble year before he came here, um, he had 31 points in 55 games. So about on pace for where he could be this year. And I, uh, I, I guess I'm surprised by it. I won't lie. I, I think that I'm a little more understanding of it now that we've heard him talk. And, and you know, we played that conversation you had with him, Wes, uh, a number of weeks ago where he was like, like I've been, I, I was battling multiple things in, his first, uh, in my first two years as a member of the Flames. So I think I, there's a little bit more context to it. But even saying that and listening to Blake talk about, yes, guys, I, I know how to score. I've, I've been a high-scoring player before. Even I'm a little surprised by it. And so yeah. I, I, I don't feel bad for being surprised, but I am impressed. And, and that's with saying that Blake Coleman, in every single second he's been a member of this team since signing here in the summer of 2021, he's come as advertised. He, came, he, he was billed as a leader. He was billed as a hell of a two-way forward, a great penalty killer, a guy who could chip in uh, with secondary scoring. Well, he has checked all those boxes in his two-and-a-half seasons as a member of the Flames and, and is now showing us that maybe there's a little bit more there too, which that, that's been the surprise. That offense has been really cool to see. It, it certainly has been. And I guess the other reason it's surprising for me is there aren't a lot of players who have career years at the age of 30-plus, or in Blake Coleman's case, 32. So that's surprising for me. But he is a low-mileage player because he came into the league a little bit later. For example, uh, Blake Coleman has played in 498 NHL games. He's 32. Noah Hannafin has played in 632 NHL games, and he's 26. Look. So think about that for a second. Low mileage in games, but not style. 100%. Yeah. That's, that's well said. And I'm not sure people realize, I'm not sure you can realize unless you've gone through it, how taxing it be, can be mentally and physically to make two long runs in the Stanley Cup playoffs in a row. And he won back-to-back championships 
one COVID championship, one non-COVID championship as a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And not only are you playing two months more than some players in the league, you also have a lot shorter offseason and less time to recover physically and mentally. So you, know, you think about those back-to-back runs he made with the Lightning and then he signs with the Flames and you know, he, he clearly wasn't 100% on a consistent basis for his first couple of seasons here, but he has been so good. And then the other thing that's impressive for me, it's a long list obviously, you know, Michael Backlund's been a little inconsistent offensively this season and they've spent the last little while with Jonathan Huberto playing left wing on that line he is pointless in 11 and goalless in 16 so it's not like the best playmaker on this team or the guy who should be and could be the best playmaker on this team is just teeing pucks up for Backlund and Coleman yeah they're right. doing the heavy lifting on that line right now yep absolutely they are and, and I'm not sure where that line would be some nights without Blake Coleman because you're right Michael Backlund's offensively especially been less consistent than he was the past couple of seasons. Jonathan Huberto hasn't been the factor that we expected him to be. Blake Coleman like can't stop scoring shorthanded, <laughs> but even five on five, what he's producing is really impressive. And he's deserved that bump to the power play 100%. as well. And I think that he's actually yeah. given that power play quite a bit. It's uh, I, I, I think that the whole moving of Zeri to the number one unit and that opening up a spot for Coleman to come in on the number two unit. Uh, I, I think, I, I think it is, I think both units are way better because of the infusion of those one players. I think you drop you, all of a sudden you put Zeri on that number one unit and it's given them something completely different. They haven't had dynamic nature. And then all of a sudden you put Coleman on that second unit where Backlund already was. And now Huberdeau's on that unit as well. There's some familiarity with those three guys. I think that's helped in a big way too. But I think Blake has earned that power play time. And, and as, as Ryan Huska told us on the coaches show earlier on Wednesday, he's, he's going to do what he can to make sure he doesn't come off that power play. Yeah, he's been good five on five. But uh, this is a team that needs to be better on special teams as a whole. Paddley Kill's been good all season long. And he's been a big part of that. But to your point, Pat, the power play's kind of turned the corner since they put him on that second unit. I'm not saying it's all about Blake Coleman. They've won more face-offs. Their entries have been better. Uh, they've been a little bit more fluid and not so static. But uh, he's had something to do about it. And just on the, the topic of the second power play, I wonder with Adam Rajitsu coming out tonight, uh, who gets his spot on that uh, PP2. But Blake Coleman's been great. And uh, I, I couldn't be happier for him. Uh, one of the co-winners of the Peter Marr Good Guy Award last season. And uh, he deserves all the success that he's having. Yeah, and the only thing I'd add on him, and, and obviously Nazem Kadri and and rightly so, gets a lot of credit for being the sort of mentor to Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil. I'm sure those guys have been told by the coaching staff, watch Blake Coleman. Pay attention to the way he prepares. Pay attention to the way he works. If you want to have a successful career at this level, mm -hmm. that's a pretty damn good role model. Daily Flames Roundtable on this Wednesday Flames Talk. Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg along with you. Um, do we, uh, Andrew Mangiapane got moved to that uh, line. Who did he play with? Uh, Ruzicka and Dubé on Saturday in Los Angeles. Uh, he's going to move back to the line he's been on for most of the season with Lindholm and Sharon Govich in this game against Seattle. Uh, they're going to move. Uh, they're going to take Ruzicka out and put Dewar in on that fourth line. But Mangiapane specifically. Did, do you think he responded well in just over 10 minutes of ice time to, to being moved off that line on Saturday? Because it was very clearly a message being sent to him. Oh, yeah. 
That was a shot right across the bow. I mean, that's uh, about the biggest move Ryan Huska could have made without making uh, Andrew Manchapani, who is a $5.8 million cap hit, a healthy scratch, which I, I know some fans have been calling for that, but that's hard to do, let's be honest. Um, but I really like their response, especially in the first 40, 50 minutes of that game. Um, was it Brad Treleving who once said that Andrew Mangiapane is at his best when, at the end of a shift, his helmet's on backwards or sideways, Side, sideways. or upside yeah. down? That was, or, that was in an article that you wrote. Looking yeah. through the ear hole. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he reminded me of that guy early in that game against the Kings. His work ethic, I thought, was outstanding. And he was getting to the hard areas. Uh, he was mucking things up, and he was a pain in the butt uh, to play against, and, and that's who he has to be. Uh, I know that he scored 35 goals a couple of years ago, but he's not a guy who's going to score easily. He has to work hard for his goals. And, and sometimes when uh, you score 35, you, you start to believe that you're, you're a goal scorer. Well, I wouldn't call Andrew Manchapani a natural goal scorer. Uh, he's going to have to to dig in and, and score the hard way, in my opinion. And I think he kind of got away from playing that type of game. So it was good to see him get back to it for, for two-plus periods uh, last Saturday night. But we're going to have to see more of that moving forward from him because the Flames need more guys putting pucks in the net, and he certainly has the ability to do that. With six goals in 33 games this season, he's on pace for 15, which would be his lowest total in five seasons so it hasn't been a good start remember he scored two goals in the season opener he has scored four goals in 32 games since then but for me it starts with the work we saw that on saturday night i think if he continues to play that way the puck will start to go into the net for him yeah i want to answer this in in two ways because i did like his immediate response on saturday night to his demotion to the fourth line you know he, he makes a great play on his first shift of the night, actually, to set up Rasmus Anderson's goal. Has kind of a partial breakaway not long after. To Derek's point, I like the way he competed in Los Angeles. But I need to see more response out of Andrew Mangiapane tonight when he's back with Sharon Govich yep. and Elias Lindholm. Because I think there's been a few nights throughout this season where, you know, Andrew Mangiapane, remember, gets benched after taking two penalties in the first period. I can't remember which game that was, but he spends the rest of the first period on the bench. Well, suddenly he's going pretty good in the second. There was a night he barely touched the ice in the third. Well, at the start of the next game, he's going pretty good, but it hasn't lasted. And so I hope to see an Andrew Mangiapane tonight who's as ticked off about his lack of production and, and quite frankly, his inconsistent play for the past probably month and a half, maybe even all season, I need to see a guy who's ticked off about that still. I need to see that response carry forward because if getting demoted just helps you play better for one night, that's not going to work for a guy who's among the highest paid players on the team. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt for a guy who's almost at a $6 million hit. They just He's on pace for 14 goals no this season. No power play now, right? Yeah, he's been taken off the power play. We'll see if he's back on I wonder there. if he'll be back yeah. on PP2 Just because Ruzicka yeah. is not in, and he has been a staple on that second power play unit for the last number of weeks. But um, he's only on pace for 14 goals, um, and he's on pace for, I think, a little bit over 40 points, I think is what he's on pace for something like that um and i just i know there's more there from him i know that there is more of the kind of feisty pain in the ass 
and uh, guy that, that you've that you guys have both described right there. I I know that that exists because we've seen it in different stints and spurts over the last couple of seasons. But maybe that's exactly what he needed was just a little bit of a hey, we're bumping you down to the fourth line because we need you to have uh, more of a fourth line mentality, and that that's that's what that's what he needs to have to be. He has more skill and more finishing ability than most fourth liners do in the NHL, but it's that scrappy chip on the shoulder mentality that has gotten him to the NHL when most people never thought he could get there. And and somehow I think he's really got to rediscover that because he is an established NHLer and he's on a three-year deal and almost $18 million total. And he's, he has hit it big and way bigger than most people thought he was going to. But he has somehow got to rediscover that chip on the shoulder uh, because if he can, I think he can become a really effective player again. And I think that we see different spurts of him being that effective player. But for $6 million, he is much like Jonathan Huberdo, much like a number of other players on this team who have struggled this year. It hasn't been consistent enough for uh for andrew Mangiapane, so i think it did I, I think it did work for that one game but as wes says now it's got to be yeah. for more than one game you took the words right out of my mouth uh, i was going to say he's got to start playing with a chip on his shoulder again yeah uh, and i can remember a 166th overall pick who was undersized who played with a chip on his shoulder for his whole career who put up hall of fame numbers in theo Fleury. And I think Andrew Mangiapane, early in his career, played with that same kind of chip on his shoulder. 166 overall pick who had to prove people wrong at every single level to get to the NHL and to stay in this league. And he wasn't going to let anybody take that away from him. And then he scored 35 goals and he got a big contract and maybe he relaxed a little bit and thought, I'm here to stay now. Well... He's probably going to want another big contract when this one comes to an end. So, And I know he wants to help this team win hockey games. He has the ability to put the puck in the net, but he's got to play like that pain-in-the-butt guy who we saw for four or five seasons. And the other thing he has to do, guys, is stay out of the penalty box. Yeah, jeez. And like a lot of players in this league, when he's not moving his feet, he tends to take too many stick penalties. And we've seen a lot of those of late. So... Uh, he's just got to get back to being the guy who he was. Uh, work hard, and uh, you'll put yourself in a position to score, and the puck will start going in, and you'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel less frustrated, and you'll probably spend less time in the penalty box. Because Andrew Mangiapane, at his best, plays exactly how Ryan Huska wants his team to play. Yeah. Right? He, he's hard on that forecheck. He can turn pucks over. He can regain possession. He's one of those guys who plays with pace when – to your point, he has his feet moving. Like he, if you sort of take the, the I guess identity that Ryan Huska wants his forward group to have, Andrew Mangiapane can hit so many of those boxes, and that makes him such an important player for these guys. That's why they need him going. That's mm-hmm. why what they're yeah. getting out of him has not been good enough. That's why Ryan Huska only played him ten minutes in L.A. Yeah, that's a message. Hey. It's not just the goals and assists. We need more of what we expect Andrew Mangiapane to be. Yep. Right. And when you're playing fourth-line minutes, you're not getting special teams time. It's going to dramatically decrease your ice time. But, Pat, I love the way you put it. And I had really not thought of it this way before, but I think Ryan Huska putting him on the fourth line was exactly what you said, trying to put that fourth-line mentality back 
between his ears because that's how he used to play, and that's why he had success. So to Wes's point, let's see if we see that guy tonight now that he's back on the first line. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that'll start to wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. Thanks to uh, Cam Hughes back at our Sportsnet 960 downtown studios as well. We wrap up this hour with the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.